Back to the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength conditioning and strength conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a great episode for you with Alyssa Olenek. More on her in just a second. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to the Barbell Medicine Podcast channel. We have tons of information for you. So if this is where you're starting, that's great. Check this podcast out. There are tons of other episodes with different topics, different guests, and we really hope that you find the information that you're looking for. If you don't find the information that you're looking for, you can check out our Facebook group. We've got uh, tens of thousands of people there. Great community. We'd love to have you chime in there. We also have a forum where you can ask us questions or you can contact us via email. All that stuff is linked in the description below. This week, episode 135, we're talking with Alyssa Olenek. Alyssa Olenek is a scientist and competitor. So she has her master's in exercise physiology. She's currently pursuing a PhD in exercise physiology where she's researching the sex differences in metabolism and exercise. She's also got a history in powerlifting, obstacle course races, ultra marathons, CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting, and personal training. So we have a really cool discussion where we talk about endurance training for lifters, lifting for endurance athletes, we talk about recovery uh, and implications on what you should do to improve your recovery. And then also we talk about uh, gender differences in the strength conditioning field all that and more on this week's podcast but first up a little update on me i know you guys have been missing the barbell medicine podcast normally we post them every monday but i have been out just laid out flat out my eyes were not working and so much so that i actually went to the emergency room so i was in scottsdale i was playing some golf i actually got hit with a golf ball it wasn't going full speed somebody shanked it off another fairway or whatever hit a tree ended up hitting me in the eye i thought it was just going to be black and blue but uh turns out i got an eye infection and then some complications treating that i actually woke up could not really see which is let me say terrifying so went to the emergency room got that checked out um started off some different medications and I'm I'm almost 2020 now in both eyes. It's good, but for a, for a while there, I couldn't really look at a computer screen without getting headaches. I couldn't really read. Uh, things were dark, literally and figuratively. But uh, we're back operating at uh, almost full steam. So uh, thanks for those who reached out and uh, gave me some well wishes, and those who were wondering like, "Yo, where you been?" Uh, <laughs> I've been very horizontal in the dark, the literal dark. My apartment was the darkest it's ever been because light was. I was super sensitive to it, and uh, well. I'm so glad to be back here with you and uh, feeling better. But before we hop into this week's podcast with Alyssa Olenek, actually her and Claire Zai, Claire works uh, for Barbell Medicine. Um, they're putting on a virtual deadlift charity event this month. Uh, it's going to be taking place uh, April 12th to 25th, effectively a deadlift uh, for charitable donations. There's also stickers and shirts and other apparel uh, where all the proceeds are going to go to either the Women's Sports Foundation or the Perry Initiative, which is for women in STEM. So uh, links to that in the description below. We also talk about that at the end of the podcast. We wanted to make sure that you guys were aware. So if that's something you're interested in doing, check out the links in the description below. And now, without any further ado, let's hop into this week's interview with Alyssa Olenek. Um, I'm Alyssa Olenek of Little List Fitness. I think most people might know me as Little Liss online, but you can call me Alyssa. I think some people get confused. They're like, do I call you Liss or Alyssa? I go by both. Um, so I am a fourth year PhD candidate in exercise physiology. I'm studying at the University of Georgia. Um, my research focus is in exercise and metabolism. So the intersection kind of of energy systems and exercise and nutrition and how those things kind of overlap and then sex differences within that. But then recreationally, I run ultra marathons. I started Olympic weight training the last few years. Um, I've powerlifted historically. I'm kind of known for being a jack of all trades and master of none within my fitness. I just like to try a little bit of everything. I'm very curious. Uh, and so, yeah, I run my business, Littlest Fitness. Um, that's kind of blown up on Instagram over the last few years. And so I spend pretty much all of my time working out, trying to finish my PhD with a little bit of sanity in a pandemic and growing that. It's awesome. Also, the question is in people in public, for people in public, do they <laughs> yell out little lists? Do they do that? Or do they say Alyssa? Or do they just say, I know you from Instagram? People will look at me and they'll either say, I follow you on Instagram or like they'll look at me like really scared and they'll be like, are you little lists? And I'm like, I'm this <laughs> five one tiny blonde girl in real life. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm very small. Um, and so people will kind of like look at me and they're like, are you little lists? And I'm like, awkwardly like 
yeah, that's me. So yeah, that or they'll just be like, I follow you on Instagram, like starstruck. And I'm like, <laughs> normal person. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm still a normal person right in front of you. Yeah, yeah. People do the, are you Jordan Barbell Medicine? I'm like, that's not my real last name, but yeah, that's me. Or they'll be like, do you know Alan Thrall? And I'm like, yes, he's, <laughs> and I'm like, dang it. How do I, how do I fix this? Um, very oh, cool. Funny. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Alyssa is very well educated and very, uh, experienced when it comes to performance. She's walking the walk in addition to talking the talk. So that's why she's here on the Barbell Medicine podcast. Um, with respect to like your actual, your performance background, your athletic background. Mm-hmm. So you do the ultra marathons, you actually compete. Like there's, you sign up for these treacherous, I get in my, in my estimation <laughs> events, like just the distances. I'm like, nah, it's just, yeah. just what's the longest race that you've done? So, um, I did my first hundred K last October. Um, if you know what, yeah, so it was 64 miles. Um, I think you, you know, Jason, so I did it with him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And so he, I was thinking of doing that race two years ago after my first 50 miler, but I had an injury that I was like, it's just not worth doing. So I was like, maybe next year. And so he, he conned me early lockdown. He's like, let's do this. And I was like, well, we've been gifted all this time. So why not fill it with running? And so, yeah, last October I did my first hundred hundred K ultra marathon. And so that is the longest farthest distance that I did. And so it wasn't just any 64 miles. It was a pretty rugged 64 miles. So it took us about 23 hours to finish the race. So that would be the longest I did. Um, and then that would be like, I've done, uh, that was like my seventh ultra marathon. And then a month later, my boyfriend and I did the rim to rim to rim in the grand Canyon, um, which is like another 50 miles. So those are probably the two hardest things I've done physically. Um, when it comes to ultra marathon running and trail running. So a lot, like six months ago. I, I am in awe. Yeah. Yeah. I did by, not by accident, but I didn't think it was going to be that bad. I did a century ride. So like just a hundred mm-hmm. miles. It was like Marin County and San Fran to Sonoma. Wow. I did like, the thing was, I, I'm an avid cycler. I'm not, you know, I don't train that way, whatever, but I get no. out on the road bike and I <clears throat> pretend that I'm doing cardio. Um, and I was like, all right, let's see. So I could ride, you know, five, six hours. It's going to be fine and whatever. It's going to be a little longer. I'll be fine. Like 50 miles in, I'm like, this is the worst thing that I've ever done. And I'm just halfway. So I kept trying to rationalize like, when can I quit? Yeah. Is it possible? You know? And they're like, but there's no place to quit is the problem. You're just like on the side of the road. There's a bunch of people around you and you're just like, guess I'll keep going. And uh, the thing is also, I mean, I was never out of breath, like, wow, I'm just, you know, rest, my cardiorespiratory system is not working. No, it's fine. I just, my legs hurt. My back hurt. I was tired. I was hungry. And then I'm like, because <laughs> I'm like, there's no barbells on this trip. Like, where the, what am I doing? So. I know. Yeah. I mean, some of my long runs that we do here in North Georgia, like we'll do, they'll be like these eight hour long runs. And sometimes like you're so far from your car that you're like, I mean, You'll be like, I have to finish this run no matter how I feel. Like once you get to a certain yeah. point that you're so far away, you're just like, well, there's nowhere to stop. So you keep races, you have bailout points. I've never DNF'd a race yet, but in a race you can drop. It's a, least, a lot easier than when you're by yourself in the middle of the woods and you're just like, I guess I keep going. <laughs> like, so, yeah yeah. 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 If there was like a car, like a pace car, or like somewhere like I could get a ride, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. But I was like, I can't quit. And a hundred, uh, I'd say a century bike ride is probably the equivalent of an, of an ultra. I think like when I cross train, I do like three miles per every one mile running. So it's probably about the same a degree of self-inflicted hate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still, I think honestly, the amount of time just spent in that position. And then also like I did it on a mm-hmm. cyclocross bike with, with mm-hmm. slicks though. So like it was kind of a road bike, but I didn't have like the right setup to like rest my, my arms down yeah. or whatever. Cause you don't think about it. Why would I think? I mean, I don't think that much, period. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I could deadlift 700 something pounds. Like, I could do this. It's different. That's a turn. So out. different. Yeah. Uh, that actually dovetails nicely into our first topic. We're going to talk about endurance training. Yeah. Um, let, let's start out with, and, and the reason why I want to start here, we get a lot of pushback from lifters for like doing conditioning. And so we kind of just break yeah. this up into like, for general health, we just call it, you know, aerobic training, cardio respiratory endurance training. Um, and people are like, I do all this lifting. Why do I need to do cardio? And it's like, well, in order to meet the physical activity guidelines, like it, you know, for cardiorespiratory fitness, which has a direct and dose dependent relationship 
with health outcomes, like Mm -hmm. you should probably do that. Yeah. What do you see or what do you think that most lifters get wrong about doing conditioning or endurance work? Yeah. I think that for a lot of people, I mean, so I'll give this with the caveat of people are going to be like, well, this crazy ultra girl, I power lifted for a few years before I like this crazy horseshoe into ultra running. And I was like, I deadlifted 400 pounds, but my VO2 was like 40. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's my flex right there. But like, I was so (laughs) aerobically deconditioned. I felt like crap and I hated it. And it's funny now because I weigh the same and my strength is probably relatively similar now at this point that I've built back up, but my conditioning is obviously so much better. And I feel less like a giant potato all the time. Um, and so I had this like awaken, like I went real hard in the like bro lifting. Like I was just eating and lifting and like nothing else. I quit college sports and just went like hardcore into like lifting for a few years there, which I don't regret. Cause I think that was a phenomenal choice for building just like that strength base for myself. Um, but I, I, I just, I was, not happy <laughs> there. Um, and I think I did the same thing though, that a lot of lifters do where they really overestimate how much aerobic training interrupts your lifting. So I think one, a lot of gem pop lifters think they're more elite than they, than they are. Um, not to, not to be mean, but like, they think that like, oh, this, this 30 minutes of cardio is going to crush my, my like crazy gains that are just like on the up and up of what's like the middle maybe of your potential. Um, but then I think they overestimate too how much volume it takes to interfere with your strength training games. I think for most people, it's going to be a time factor more than it's going to be, uh, like to, to do both more. I think for most people, it's a time and lifestyle factor before it ever becomes a factor of like the lifting volume is going to be so negatively impacted by your 150 minutes of cardiorespiratory activity a week. Like you can probably meet the guidelines or even go above it and be totally fine, especially if you're not doing these high crazy volumes. So I think a lot of people assume that when I say that you should do conditioning as a lifter, that I'm telling everyone to go run ultra marathons. I'm like, well, no, at some point that does interfere with my training. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't, but you can get away with a lot more. So I think a lot of people still cling to that like very 2011 bro science of like, if you even look at a cardio machine, your biceps automatically atrophy like 10% just thinking about it where you can get, you can get away with a a moderate amount of conditioning before it's going to highlight negatively impact your strength progression or whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. People will just overestimate like what that interference effect and like how much it takes to actually get there. And then mm-hmm. by the same token, like if, you know, doing some conditioning for 150 minutes a week, you know, 30 minutes, a few times here and there throughout the week, if that does negatively impact your strength gain, good. Cause you still need it anyway. Like you, that mean that tells me that you don't have the cardiorespiratory fitness base to not only like live a full and complete life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then also like whenever your resistance training volume has to like go up and you need mm-hmm. to train more to generate more fitness adaptations, you don't have that base of conditioning to tolerate mm-hmm. that and, and recover from that. So both of those things are, are kind of negative. Now, the caveat would be, yeah, if you got a powerlifting meet coming up like this week, like, okay, yeah. you, you know, maybe you, you sacrifice a little bit of cardiorespiratory fitness that's going to decay a little bit um, mm-hmm. as you taper that down. But like if you don't have a meet on the very near horizon, I think you should be doing a, a significant amount of conditioning work, not only from a health perspective, but also to support your training going forward. So yeah. from, a, from a practical standpoint, how would you program this? So let's say you got a person, yeah. they're resistance, they're lifting weights three or four times a week. They're going hard in the paint. I like that yeah. phrase. It might be, yes. you know, again, 2010, but uh, we're, we're elder millennials. That's so okay. That. Yeah. I don't know how much older you are than me, but I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm, that's my time. That's my, yeah, I'm 35. I feel like, yeah, yeah that was the, fr- that's a phrase still has meaning to me. That's still a thing <laughs> that has meaning to me. Yes. Yeah. Um, so person's just lifting weights three or four times a week. They're, they're doing, they're doing all that and they're not really doing any structured conditioning work. What would be your kind of off the cuff stock recommendation for them to like start, uh, incorporating that into their program? Yeah. So I think for one, I, especially like, cause I, I present this as a spectrum. I just posted this on Instagram. Cause I think a lot of people get confused when I talk about combining running and lifting where like your goals and priorities fall on this spectrum of things. And so if you're just a, a lifter and you're just trying to add in conditioning, so you, you know, you die later and like you can handle yeah. more aerobic volume, like really like that's, you're just like trying to like be, you care about your health. 
you can have a lot more enjoyment factor in with that too. So I think like that's where you get more freedom to be like, if you want to do something that's more fun or more creative or less like formally structured, you can probably get away with it to some degree. Um, but I think a lot of lifters maybe overestimate their fitness because they lift, like you said earlier. And so for a lot of them, they probably actually like, they're like me when I was powerlifting and I like was my VO2 dropped and I could barely run two miles. And I wanted to die. Right. Even though I had run cross country in high school and all that stuff, like I had just deconditioned so much that like, sometimes you really have to start of just doing that, like lower intensity steady state stuff just to build up like kind of like that base and capacity, almost like when you do like a hypertrophy block or whatever, or a high volume lifting block. Like I, like if you want to take, sure. like take it into like bro lifting terms to like do that. Um, so I'm a big fan of polarized training, but also I think for a lot of it, like that low, easy, steady state can be boring, but it's going to be less taxing. It's probably going to be less likely. It will be hard because it will be novel to you, but it's probably a little bit less likely to directly interfere with your lifting right off the bat versus if you do like high heart sprints or interval training or something that's like a little more demanding in nature. So especially if you're introducing it in slowly and you don't want it to directly interfere with your lifting as much and you want to be able to kind of recover from it and make adaptions within that if you're lacking aerobic fitness, like starting with just like that literal 20 to 30 minutes of like lower steady state intensity just to kind of build up your capacity there. Um, I call this low zone training when I work with my runners. Um, People hate it, but then they're like, oh, wow, it's actually really easy to accumulate volume there to get like a stimulus without it being really, really fatiguing at the same point in time. Um, So I would say like if you're completely deconditioned, like that's a really easy place to start Um, that isn't as intimidating. It probably won't make you as like trashed for your lifts if that's something that you care about prioritizing. But then as you develop that and you get more fit, you can add in things like one or two days a week of like true traditional HIIT training or like cross training. Or if you wanted to add in, like I know some people will add in like Metcon style training, you know what I mean? Like just to to make it fun or variable or circuit training, or they'll do like Peloton classes or go to cycling. That's where I'm like, well, you can have fun with it and introducing like things that might be more quote unquote, mentally fun for you or higher intensity, because at that sure, point in time, yeah. you'll, be, you'll be able to recover from her a little better. I think it just depends on where people fall with that. But that starting with that, just like doing cardio, like whether it's on a bike or a rower or you're running, I don't think the mode probably matters that much at that point in time, as much as like just getting in like your, your minimum guidelines for health. And then from there, once you build that base and it like feels good, then adding in maybe more intensity or, you know, things that are a little bit harder and more challenging because then you'll be able to, you probably won't feel like you're dying as much during that. Being out of shape and doing hit is a lot different than having an aerobic base and being able to recover between intervals or like whatever it is that you're doing. Yep. I agree. I think, you know, my typical recommendation is somewhere like if you're not doing any conditioning, then I, I want you to take four to six weeks and gradually work up to those, the minimum guidelines that 150, yeah. 300 minutes, that's your target. The mm-hmm. mode, I agree, doesn't matter if you want to walk briskly, if you want to jog, if you want to ride a bike, if you want to row, if you want to ski erg, if you want to even swimming. Although I do think most people are terrible swimmers and they probably will yes. feel the effects of that for a more prolonged time as they because mm-hmm. they're just unadapted to it. Uh, yeah. But you could do that if that's that's your jam. Uh, yeah. If I had my druthers, I would pick multiple modes because it's like, look, you don't have any reason to specialize and you're no. right now untrained. So let's do all of the things that you have access to that you enjoy, that you'll adhere to, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, as long as you're doing it for five minutes at a time, you can accumulate this throughout the day. But the whole mm-hmm. thing is take the time, gradually increase over that four to six weeks, get to that sort of baseline level of conditioning. And then you can start introducing more fun stuff. Like mm-hmm. if you think that hit is fun, I don't. If you think that <laughs> Metcons are fun, again, I don't. Yeah. But like the the other thing is like lifters, we're really good at creating lactate and going hard for a short <laughs> period of time, right? So if you think about hit, lifting is hit on steroids. So my thought yeah. is like, let's st- start with what you call the low zone. I totally agree. And I think I am, I'm big on polarized training. Joel Friel mm-hmm. is in my brain like nonstop. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. she should have some easy stuff and some hard stuff. Well, the lifting is mm-hmm. the hard stuff. So let's yeah. like... It's kind of the opposite, like where the runners do absolutely nothing that uses their type two muscle fibers ever. Right, 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 exactly. Lifters are the opposite. Like they don't like they're like they're they're like mitochondria. Never heard of them. (laughs) Never heard. Yeah, who? Yeah, yeah, like (laughs) they like have to do that opposite take of like yeah the hard stuff. I mean, I do emoms in my lifting that I swear like I 
are harder than some of my conditioning. You know what I mean? I'm like, that sure. is my hit. Like that is my hit for the week. Like, even though it's not, but it, for me, I'm like, that's it. Like too much lactate. Yeah. I'm done for the day. <laughs> like, yeah. And so, but people are like, but I heard hit was better than lists. And it's like, that's not really the case. It, most folks are like, you know, particularly lifters, you're really good. Again, you could do hit. And I think you have the potential to almost go and hurt yourself. You're like, I'm going to go run sprints because you're like really strong, but not mm-hmm. adapted to that at all. And you're like, oh, I popped yeah. the hammy. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Because you're like really good at producing force, but you're not adapted to the stimulus. So yeah, I think that's stuff. a big mistake lifters probably make is they are fit or strong or powerful, but they don't have that capacity to use it in yes. those ways. And yep. then it's really easy to go too hard, too fast, too soon, which is I feel like me with everyone all the time when they're like, I started running and everything hurts. And I'm like, well, you went from like not doing any cardio to 20 miles a week and three speed workouts. I was like, of course everything hurts. Like you have to like ease into it. So I think it's easy to just think that your fitness is more than it is in a different mode too. Yep. Be conservative, start low, go slow, work up over that four to six weeks, get to the minimums. And then uh, from there, the world is your oyster in in, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Do the Peloton class, go, go to, what are the other ones? There's like spin soul cycle, orange theory, orange fitness, theory. Yeah. F45, soul cycle, no. CrossFit, whatever you want to call them, burn booty boot camp. <laughs> I don't know. Pick your poison, meet people, have fun with it. Yeah. Uh obviously as the volume starts to increase and go up, go up, and you're 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 spending more and more time on this, sure. You start to go into that realm where it might start affecting your lifting, but uh, mm-hmm. at that point, you'll have a better judgment. You're like, yeah, I've been doing 20 minutes a day, five days a week or six days a week of this low and slow stuff. And now I'm doing three orange fitness, orange theory fitness classes per week. It's like that are 60 minutes and really high intensity. It's like, yeah, well, there's a mismatch yeah. there, but now you figure that mm-hmm. out. Uh, all right, let's flip the script. What about endurance athletes? What do they get wrong about resistance training? I don't know that they don't do it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many of these people listen to the Barbell Medicine podcast. They like see it in the oh. podcast scroll re- and they're like, Barbells, never heard of her. So they just. I think it's funny that I came into the. My business had just had its third year anniversary like two weeks ago or whatever. And I was training for my first Ultra when I first launched it. And I think it's funny that like I came in wanting, like I historically have been a lifter. I've always been known for that. Like I power lifted. Like I've always loved weight training. I've been lifting since I was a teenager, which is, I think, rare for a lot of females. And I think we want to talk about that later. But, um, when I started running ultras, I was like, everyone's going to be so confused because they're going to think of me as a runner. But I was like, fundamentially, I'm more of a strength athlete than I am anything else. And I thought it was so funny because I just like looked around at the fitness industry and I was like, wait a second. There's all of these runners who are just in their little running niche and they're not lifting at all. And so quickly I was smart and I realized I was like, okay, this is a niche that absolutely no one is addressing. Like absolutely no one is addressing this. So then I kind of like, like really set up shop there. But runners are just not lifting at all. And I think it's because of a mix of mixed messages towards runners that weight training, like it's kind of like a lot of the messages that women get, like it'll make you bulky and make you have a ton of muscle and weigh you down and slow you down and all that stuff. And also just like not realizing that they should prioritize that or that it's important um, to support their training. I think they think of it as like, they don't, I think a lot of runners also genuinely just don't like strength training, whether it's because they've never done it correctly or they just some people genuinely are cardio junkies. Like that's just the mode of fitness that brings them a lot of enjoyment. And so I think they just, they, they hate lifting. I can't relate, but you know, so I think runner's biggest mistake is they don't lift at all. Or if they do lift, they're getting lifting information from other runners who just, I mean, I swear to goodness sake, the, the running's fitness advice that they get, runner's advice they get is the same thing that like Fitzbo's give. It's just like this, it's banded. Oh boy everything and underloaded and high rep. I, it's like, it's like the duplicate universe of the, of the fitness fit spose is like running strength. Like they're given like the same thing. It's like banded, underweighted, high reps, like under volume, under load, like inconsistent. Like it's like the same thing. I, it, I think that it's funny that the parallels there, but so to answer your question, they're not strength training at all. Or if they do, they're, they're, <laughs> they're just <not>. essentially <laughs> recreating, they're recreating running with their lifting. They're doing the same kind of stimulus. They're right. doing endurance. They're doing high reps. They're doing low load. And you're already doing high reps, low load. Like that's your that's your running training, right? So I think those are the two big mistakes that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I think a really good text on this for folks who are listening to this and are like, all right, well, I, I, I like what you're putting down. Uh, the Science of Running by Steve Magnus. 
great section on resistance training for runners and for different like events. Like if you're actually a competitive runner, but if you want to lay the land, it's a really good, really good text that flushes this out. Uh, I'm in agreement. I most of the car endurance folks that are resistance training, uh, I find that their their resistance training programs are, if if they're actually lifting weights, tend to not be as well thought out or well programmed uh, as as I would like. And and the thing is, they do try to make it a little too specific. They're like, yeah, well, I'm w- working on strength, endurance, or stamina, or whatever. So I got to do sets of twenty or thirty or whatever. And it's like, well, you mm-hmm. you're already doing that. It's very the sim- the analogous argument to like the lifter only doing sprints. It's like, you're already really doing that. So you kind of need to do the opposite in some ways. But then even before that, you have to build this base. What's your strength base? Mm -hmm. And so what is strength? Strength is force production measured in specific context. So there are many different contexts, which means many different rep ranges, exercises, ranges of motion, et cetera. So I would like to build this big base of the pyramid for strength. And then you can apply that later specifically. So what does that mean? That means you're going to do some low rep, low velocity stuff. You're going to do some moderate weight moderate rep scheme stuff. You're going to even do some high velocity work to like build all of these sort of, uh, uh, you know, muscle qualities. And then later on, as you get more and more trained, you can apply that specifically. Now I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that someone should stop running or cycling or doing their sport, but, and the priorities balance is going to be different, right? Same thing for the cardio Mm -hmm. and lifter. We're not saying stop lifting, do cardio, but to incorporate both, you're going to have to dedicate some time there. So, all right, mm-hmm. Alyssa, how would you program resistance training for an endurance athlete? Let's say this person, we're not, we're not talking like an elite level athlete because they're not listening to this podcast anyway. Yeah. We'll just say the person <laughs> who they do cardio, you know, five or six times a week. They got a long run on the weekend. And then, you know, otherwise they, they're typically in that sort of 30 to 60 minute range. Sometimes they'll do intervals because they like read Fartlek in a text or a magazine at some point. And uh, so, yeah, how would you get them on the uh, on the barbell tip? Yeah, so this is probably more the niche that I work in, like the beginner to intermediate runners who don't have a ton of resistance training. And so I think for a lot of them, I'm really big on the seasons approach. So something I push with a lot of them is like after you're done racing for the year or you've done your goal race or whatever it is, taking like at least two, but maybe ideally like three to six months to just dedicate to resistance training. And that doesn't mean doing absolutely no running at all. You can maintain, you can still train, but like taking the time to actually spend time in that because resistance training will make you sore. It will make you tired. It will take away from some of your running. I'm not saying it won't until you adapt. Kind of like we just talked about that four to six weeks of doing endurance to adapt for the the lifter side of things. Um, So I think you know, because, you know, those first few weeks, if they're not doing a whole bunch, it's just going to be all neuromuscular adaptations. They're just going to be like fish out of water trying to learn how to move, but then trying to finally find a place mm-hmm. to build from that once they get used to it, get comfortable, get confident in that. Um, and to actually get true strength adaptations beyond those, like the newbie gains, as we like to call them, and actually developing some strength, um, I think is important. And I think for a lot of them, they think that strength training means you need to go like full bodybuilder six days a week. I think starting with two days a week is a really good place to start, like full body two days a week. You can do a lot there. And especially like if your goals aren't long-term to make this incredible, like significant strength progress, you can hang out at two days a week of like full body and do a lot there. Um, Or I like for runners a lot, like two full body days and then upper body day. So like a full, full upper, because then that way you're not, you're giving your, you're still getting like a way to distribute some of your upper body volume and you're distributing the lower in two days, but maybe not that third so that you kind of have more time for your legs to recover before your long runs or things like that. So I think they think that like you need to go and just like hammer out legs all the time and be super sore and have it interfere with your runs. But I think it's the same thing where you start really simple and really basic with like, I think they, they are so used to like these high exercise selection, like these 10 exercise workouts and they're done. It's very cliche to what you see in like fitness swipe videos that are high rep, but picking a few sure. exercises, sticking to those basic movement patterns, like a squat, a hinge, you know, a push, a pull, like the very, very basics and kind of selecting one from there and two full body days there. I think they can get a lot done. Um, I'm also a big fan with runners, especially because I'm coming from the trail running world too, is doing like unilateral work. So like your step ups and your lunges, um, things like that, especially because you're, you're landing on one leg all the time. Um, especially when I, I, because I do trail ultra, like having that ability to 
respond because you're going to land weird on some rock on one leg and like all that stuff. So um, I think that's really helpful too. So I think runners really overestimate like what we say when they need to start lifting. I think they think they need to go full bro. And I'm like, well, you could just do full days a week. And even if you have dumbbells from your house that you can progress with off the bat, you can probably start there and make a lot of progress, especially if you're coming from nothing. Hopefully eventually we can graduate you to a barbell or even like a trap bar or machines, you know what I mean? Like a leg press, whatever it is, you don't have to go be like a bodybuilder or an Olympic weightlifter. Um, but just a way for you to progress your load over time. I think runners don't realize they can get pretty strong before the, the volume becomes a point where they they have so much muscle tissue, it's actually inhibiting their, their running or especially, and that's sure. like elite, right? When you're talking a gen pop novice and there's some good literature coming out on this, that actually like running interfere like lifting interferes less with running than like running interferes with lifting. So you can actually like handle a lot yep. more, especially if you're a novice or intermediate trainee, you can get better at both simultaneously for quite a while before you have to kind of like mm-hmm. be more selective in your training. And then, so I think like that's probably usually where, I, and that's where most of my people are training at. I think a lot of runners, they have a hard, again, it comes down to time for most people and runners running takes up a lot of time. Even if you're not doing a ton of miles, it's still very time costly. So I think that two days a week of full body, is a really realistic place for most intermediate gen pop runners to do, especially if they have other priorities like kids or their running schedule or whatever it is. Um, And then maybe shifting to three during times of when they're like running volumes lower or in an off season or whatever that looks like for them. When they have more time. Yep. No, I'm in full agreement. I mean, this is basically how we just uh, like built our beginner template, beginner prescription Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it's like, we got a squat pattern. We got a deadlift pattern. We got a uh, upper body press pattern and an upper body pull kind of pattern. You pick what exercise mm-hmm. that you like. You get one like priority. Like that's going to be maybe a compound lift um, that mm-hmm. you can load a little heavier, a little bit lower rep range. You pick something that you can do for moderate uh, reps, and then you pick something that's unilateral and you get higher reps for that. The idea is again, we're building this big base of physical development that you can yeah. later apply specifically that you you got to pick the exercises. So you're on the hook for this one. Yeah. You're playing an active manager <laughs> in your, in your, in your exercise program. And then, uh, yeah, progress from there. I love it. Uh, so everyone should lift. Everyone should do cardio. That's the, that's the, to wrap that in. A- I'm, I know. I feel like I'm such a show for both, but I really am such a show for both because they're both so important and so good. I think that just, uh, people think that doing both means you like, you can't focus on your goals of the other or the opposite. I'm like, well, no, they just, both are going to contribute positively to that end goal. We have to move from this idea that like lifters only lift and runners only run. They both benefit one another to some degree. Yep. There's a synergy there. And then sure, there's an inflection point where they can become, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they can interfere with each other. But at that point where you get there, that's only when you're getting to the tip of the spear. And that should be, oh, you've Mm -hmm. got a competition, a very important thing coming up. Mm -hmm. And then you get to specialize for a short period of time. You're allowing decay Mm -hmm. of like one set of physiological characteristics to manifest a peak in the other one. And you do that for a short period of time and then back into the meat grinder (laughs) and you're doing both. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly how I approach. I mean, I'm a, pretty strong lifter and I do these crazy races and that's exactly what I do. You just compromise for short periods of time or maintain the best that you can and focus on improving one towards the other. But you know, I, I'm not going to be in ultra shape while I'm doing a weightlifting competition and I'm not going to be PRing my, my back squat when I'm, you know, towing the line for hundred K like those things just don't happen. They may be, but, uh, usually I'm not peaking both at the same time. I, I had a, this was funny. I was in the gym. I had a deadlift workout. Well, it wasn't a, it's a full body workout, but I started with deadlifts and I had, mm-hmm. uh, not nine sets of four on deadlifts and, uh, I was working at 270 kilos. So five ninety five, and I was taking three minute mm-hmm. rest periods. And I, and the whole thing was I was recovered in between, but, and I, yeah. I, I ascribe that to like my conditioning base, which is not great, but it's developed enough. And the whole point is yeah. like, yeah, without that, I'd be like, man, five minutes? I don't know. Six minutes I'm going to need. And mm-hmm. then it's like your whole workout. Imagine doing nine sets with six minutes of rest. You're talking an hour at least for one exercise, and you get staring at two or three more. No thanks. So, And I, no. and I love lifting. I love being in the gym. I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over it. My workouts take two hours as it is, and I and I have an aerobic base, and I'm only recovering three minutes. Like if I had to wait to recover five between everything, I don't think I'd ever leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, all right. Speaking about recovery, perfect segue. Yeah. 
I, I just I just planned all yeah, of this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I saw a recent post on your Instagram talking about recovery and different things to do for recovery. So let's start out mm-hmm. with the million dollar question. How do you actually explain the concept of recovery to folks? Like if you're so when you told when I saw that you were gonna ask me this, I was like, how would I describe uh-huh. that? But it's really just the I was like, oh man, that like test that's like I feel like that's a question I'd get asked in comps. That's right, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's something that's very obvious, but also like how would I describe mm-hmm. that? But I guess in the most gen pop terms, I would describe it as the period of time between training sessions, either in the same day or day to day or across a week or over time, where your body is, re- I don't want to use the recovery, yeah. regenerating the pathways of which you damage. So muscle protein synthesis, mitochondrial biogenesis, whatever it is. So it's taking in your your foodstuffs, your calories, your, your protein or whatever it's doing, um, to recover those so that way it can adapt. Because I this is what I tell my undergrads. I'm like, fitness is really cool because it's literally just your body being like, well, shit, that sucked. I want to be better at that next time I see it. And then it like makes your body more resilient to that. Yep. And then you have to do make it harder again the next time. And it keeps doing that. So it's just your body's way of like using, uh, regenerating what you damage so it can be stronger or better the next time it sees the same stimulus. So that's essentially what we're doing in recovery. So our bodies are working during that time, even if it feels like we're quote unquote doing nothing. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I typically call it like describe it as the compensatory processes that are involved in ameliorating or taking care of the negative psychological and physiological effects of physical activity. So effectively, all these things can happen from physical activity and how your body deals with that part of the recovery process. Now, people conflate recovery and performance, which are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Performance is really the balance of fitness adaptations you have on board versus those negative sort of psychological and physiological things. And so to the extent that the positive fitness adaptations are way out of proportion, like in a, in a good way, to the those negative sort of effects, yeah, your performance is up. Doesn't necessarily mean your recovery is like off the charts. It just means that you got a bunch of cool stuff on board and you get to demonstrate that. Uh, on the mm-hmm. other hand, if you have a low amount of physical adaptation, you know, physical adaptations on board uh, and the same amount of negative psychological and physiological effects of physical activity, your performance is going to be down. It doesn't mean that your recovery is necessarily down. It just means that you're not, you know, a lot of those adaptations have either decayed or are not present due to your training program. So people like, yeah. I think, conflate recovery and performance like they're one one, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. You can have your highest level of performance when you're quote unquote, not really that recovered just because you have so many of uh, those adaptations on board. So just want to make sure that the, yeah. our audience is like on board with what we're talking about. Now, if we can improve recovery, improve the uh, processes that go on uh, to get rid of that, the negative uh, physiological and psychological sort of effects of physical activity, uh, that would be cool because then on balance, we would have more of those positive uh, fitness adaptations. So what can we actually do to improve those processes? What are the the sort of like keys in your in your mind? Yeah. So I feel like I end up yelling about recovery every single week to people on Instagram. I don't know. Like I think my audience just gets on these like trends for a while and they'll get really hung up on one thing and then they won't ask me about it for like six months. Right, right, right. Like six months later, they won't even bring it up. But recovery has been the thing. Um, and I assume that comes to some degree because they see I train in high volumes and they're kind of fascinated by how that even works. Um, But I think for a lot of people, they want to immediately jump to like, well, what's the secret and the hack? And really it's like sleep, eating enough, like taking periods of lower training mixed with like your periods of higher training, taking your rest days, Mm -hmm. and then like finding a volume of what you can actually recover from in your training. Um, Coach, we kind of alluded to earlier, like when, you know, you you bump up your cardio to three 60-minute sessions a week and you're like, shit, it is interrupting what I'm doing. Like you kind of, you know, you, you, you're like, okay, I overdid it last week. So I feel like people want this big secret fancy thing. I feel like for the most part, for a lot of people, it's going to be the sleep, the stress, and the food where they, they aren't controlling those mm-hmm. few variables, but they're like easy to dump $500 on a Theragun because that will work. Where like, you know, if you like, – like they're like – well, if I do this, this will work. And I'm like, well, no, like just put your phone away 30 minutes before bed and maybe like I, I like eat an extra serving of protein with your dinner. <laughs> like it's like so not flattering sure, yeah. and sexy and fancy, but that really is what – like everyone wants all – and there, I mean some of those things work acutely. Like you can take an ice bath and you might not be a sore the next day, but you won't necessarily actually recover better long-term or adapt, I guess. That's where that recovery adaption things come from. That's like the one post I was just talking about. But um, for most people, I'm like you just probably – need to dial in your nutrition and sleep 
and maybe like stress sure. if that's like a huge issue for you. Like that's that's the big fancy bow. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, if we if we get down to the nitty gritty, we're talking about, all right, well, what what is fatigue? Like, why are we trying, you know, if that's if those are the negative physiological and psychological resultants or outcomes from physical activity, like what methods could actually like mitigate those things or, 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 you know, improve the processes needed to, to, uh, to take care of those. So, you know, we talk about central fatigue, which is, you know, fatigue occurring at the level of the brain. And we talk about peripheral mm -hmm. fatigue occurring at the level of the muscle. So muscle, you know, muscle tissue breakdown, depletion and accumulation of different, uh, byproducts, all that sort of stuff. And so, you go down this sort of laundry list of what people call recovery tools. Like we start with a Theragun, for yes. example. And it's like, all right, well, how does a Theragun actually, you know, help with muscular damage? It's creating more, if any, but it's not. Yeah. It's not because no. you need more pressure to, to actually do anything to the muscle. Listen, I have one because it feels good and nothing else. And like people are like, but you use that? I'm like, yeah, it feels you good. do a lot like of if things. If you're in the middle of an ultra, and a fear gun fears really good. I don't think it's fixing anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, but temporarily, it will make me feel a little bit better about my life. Yeah, <laughs> you can do a lot of things that make you feel good that don't have any yeah. impact on like any physiological or psychological process. You know, outside of like subjectively yeah. feeling better. Uh, and then it really just. Uh, depends like how you explain this to yourself. So, so for example, if somebody's using a Theragun and they love it, makes them feel subjectively yeah. better. And you know, that puts them in a more positive mindset going into a training session or event. Cool. Th two thumbs up. Fine. But yeah. if they're like, I'm doing this because my muscle tissue is broken down, I have knots and I have adhesions and all this other sort of stuff. And I got to break those up because yeah. those mechanical things are limiting my performance. I'm like, okay, so we just did this whole like nocebo thing on yourself. We got to yes. take a few steps back. Um, if we talk about, uh, from a nutritional standpoint, making sure you're getting the right amount of protein that actually does have a direct effect on like muscular damage mm -hmm. and dealing with that, mitigating some of those negative, yeah. uh, 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 physical activities sort of, uh, outcomes. If we talk about eating enough calories, same sort of deal, not only with replenishing energy stores, um, but also with actually fueling the process to build muscle mm -hmm. tissue. If we talk about sleep, that has a direct effect on central fatigue. Um, and then the final aspect of aspect of this has to do with training. If you want to get better at recovery and tolerating training, you're going to have to train because the, yeah. <laughs> because the opposite mindset is like, oh, well, if I'm not recovered, I have all these negative sort of psychological and physiological outcomes from physical activity. I should just not train until I'm back to mm -hmm. my baseline. And so you're going to train less and you're going to get less mm -hmm. trained and you're going to, and some of these things are going to decay. It's really, you're just hamstringing yourself. Um, yeah. In reality, you should train probably a little bit more to, so that you can mm -hmm. improve your tolerance so you can, again, in, increase your physical adaptations. And yes, over time, you will adapt to that. You will accommodate to that. You will end up tolerating mm -hmm. all this stuff. And voila, your recovery rate from a given sort is of better. physical activity is better. <laughs> yeah. So I think when people yeah. look at recovery and performance as one-to-one, -one, the mm -hmm. final, you know, you take these logical leaps down and down the line. The final point you get to is like, well, I have to train less. I need to do less work so I can be recovered for each bout of physical activity. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you look at it, that recovery and performance are two different things. And so the function, mm -hmm. the purpose of physical activity is to improve fitness adaptations. You'd want to train as much as possible to get the most amount of physical adaptations. Mm -hmm. The limit being how much can you tolerate? How do you tolerate more? Yes. You're going to have to gradually increase this over time. Yes, exactly. I think that's a big thing, especially in like the audience and niche that I work with. They're always like, when do, when am I, how do I know I'm overdoing it? Or like when I should back off or be easier on myself. I was like, training is hard. Yep. Like, especially I'll get like runners who start lifting. They're like, but I'm sore. My legs are sore. I'm like, well, go run. Like mm -hmm. that, you're not going to, you're not going to move past that if you just stop running every time you're sore from a lift. Like you just keep running. Like it will get better. It will go away. You will adapt. It will get easier. Yep. But training fundamentally is hard you are going to be fatigued. You're not going to be 100% every single lift for your entire life. And I think that mental block of shifting from that um, is is hard, I think, for people to get around because I think they're, they get these mixed messages that they're always overdoing it for some reason where training is just hard and you just – sometimes you're tired. But the things that we can control to, to support that are going to be the sleeping and the eating, especially the, the calories and the protein specifically. And I feel like – I am a broken record with how often I tell people that, but as soon as it clicks for them, like, oh, I feel great. I actually am not sore anymore. I was like, yeah, okay. So we figured out what, what was the problem. It wasn't the training. It was the eating or whatever else was, but training's just yeah. hard. <laughs> like, Yeah. 
rather than being than being overtrained, I think most people are undertrained. And then how do you support mm-hmm. the requisite level of training? It's like, well, yeah, you got to have the protein, got to have your calories on point, got to sleep, and you got to make sure you're training enough. It's like if you yeah. came into the gym and you were trying to add five pounds to the bar for a given rep scheme and exercise, and you couldn't do it, and your resultant mental calculus is that, oh, I'm just not recovered enough. I'm going to go home and I'll try again. And so now you spread your rest interval to like a week and a half. And then eventually you keep doing that. You're training once a month and you're like, why am I not getting any better? It's like, well, you haven't accumulated enough physical, you know, physical activity induced stress to drive Mm -hmm. the the adaptations. And so, yeah. And now also you're detrained. So we can't really ramp you back up very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I expect this sort of run in period for any new sort of training program, like four to six weeks, something like that, where people start get to a level where they can accommodate that level of training stress mm-hmm. and then they can see this sort of the progress uh, without necessarily increasing the amount of training volume that they're doing it's just like you have to get used to what you're doing and only then once mm-hmm. you can tolerate it do you get to see that improvement see it all the time in hypertrophy mm-hmm. studies like people don't grow on week one or week two really that much they start growing in week four yeah. week five week six and it's like mm-hmm. yeah because they were just trying to tread water at the beginning and then once mm-hmm. they adapted to it like the body's like, oh, now, only now can I grow some of that extra muscle tissue, which is yeah, what we've been saying. So, hey, don't buy the Theragun or do. I mean, whatever. Just, or don't. Just, yeah, or don't. I got it as a Christmas present. <laughs> like, And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Like I would never pay for this myself. I can't but. tell if my friends and family don't like me enough to get me these Christmas gifts. They're like, <laughs> you know, because if I imagine, you know, some of them, being, if they don't necessarily know what I do with barbell medicine, they're like, oh, he's mm-hmm. into fitness. You'd love this thing. That's exactly what yeah. people do. They'll they just think of me with very generic stuff. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I totally agree. Thanks. Yeah, sweet, thanks. Or if they're like, they're so familiar with with our stuff, they're like, oh, he would hate that. That would be the ultimate troll yeah. gift. <laughs> so they <laughs> so they don't do it. I can't can't quite. I'll just send you. I'll get I'll get the whole barbell medicine t- team a roll of KT tape. Oh my gosh, Derek Derek would lose it. We just absolutely. I, I was just looking at his stories with the the truck and the tape and yeah. the whole his every week that he puts it on meat. I'm I know like, this is too much. I told I was like, hey man, there's got to be some non zero residue left on your meat. I'm just saying you're eating some amount of K-tape every <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every week. Uh, so that's good. I think I think we covered recovery. I think we covered recovery. That's pretty good. Uh, pretty nicely yeah. there. So this is actually a really important one. And I wanted to lure the audience into this far of the podcast so that they would uh, continue to listen. Um, it's, a, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. Women in the strength conditioning field. My, my take is that there's not enough women in the strength conditioning field to actually promote more women getting into resistance training, more women becoming subject matter experts, more women being coaches. And in my mind, once we can get past that, once we can get more women involved here, it's going to get better for everyone. We're going to have more places to train. We're going to have more opportunities to be physically active. We're going to reduce barriers to access, all sorts of stuff. So you being a bona fide subject matter expert in the field, do you feel like there's been any unique challenges to like generating your audience, building your business, Mm -hmm. uh, getting where you're at just uh, on the basis of being a woman? So I think this is interesting and ironic that I'm doing this podcast. I was talking to uh, Claire about this, actually, because I've become really good friends. If you guys don't follow Claire Barbell Medicine, Claire Zai, me and her have developed this girl power friendship within the industry. Um, And so two years ago, I gave a presentation in my um, one advanced physiology class for my my advisor. Um, He actually asked me to give it to the class because he thought that social media and science communication in our field were really important. And I think it's ironic that I'm doing this podcast because like you and a couple of other guys were examples of like male industry leaders in the exercise and evidence-based space. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of females in the nutrition space, but when it comes to like resistance and strength training, I was like, there's like the Lane Nortons and the Alan Argons. And like I had you and Austin and a couple of the other barbell medicine guys and like Brad Schodenfield and all that stuff. I was like, these are our industry leaders for this field and they're great and they're evidence-based. But I was like, we really don't have any female exercise specific professionals that are like kind of the big names in the industry. Like, so he's up there and she's more well-known, but for the most part, like, I was like, this is like, there's not, this isn't, this isn't a thing. And I was like, there are some more nutrition and there's, we're getting more, but I was like, there's this massive gap of industry leaders that are women. You know what I mean? And so I think the evidence that you guys put out was amazing. Mm -hmm. And everyone else that I just mentioned there, um, I've always looked up to a lot of those resources and used them in my life. Um, but I was like, this is a big gap in our field. And so for me, when I was first starting, you know, my business and stuff, I really was like, as a woman who's going to have a PhD in exercise physiology in a year, uh, give or take, um, 
like I, it was really important for me to like, you know, cause I knew I wanted to integrate into the social media space. And I was like, I didn't really have a female industry leader to look up to that was from an educational perspective. Like we do have some other trainers and coaches, but like from like that educated, like terminal degree perspective, I was like, there's not really that person in that industry for me to look towards. Um, and so luckily I have kind of formed this like female science squad, I guess, as we've gone through where I've collected female academics and like experts as I've gone to find support within that. Um, but I think that's really important. But I think that a big thing that I've noticed the last few years is that I've talked about this on some other podcasts. I think that the like the criticism we have on females that are educated is higher. Like I feel like the chances of me getting called out on being incorrect on a small piece of information are higher than maybe like a male colleague of mine. Like I feel like or the softness sure. of which we have to deliver our messages are more criticized. So I'm very intense and maybe more masculine in my approach to how I I'm very logical. I'm very intense. I train in a high volume. Like, um, but I feel like there's this need to like soften that blow, especially the female audience or an audiences in general, things have to be pretty fied. So our branding has to be better. Our, our presentation has to be better. Everything has to be prettier, softer, more appropriate. And like, it has to be more correct in order to be measured at the same level of efficacy or value as like maybe a male colleague and peer. And that's just something I've noticed with trying to grow my business where men can make entire pages of just like poorly cropped tweets and memes and they'll like blow up. Um, where like I've True. gone out of my way to curate very intentionally, like how I make my post and how I do things, which I don't think is wrong. I, I hold myself to a high standard in what I do and I, I'm very proud of what I've built, but I've noticed that little bit of a difference where like, there's just like these different standards. It's almost like things that we hold women to standards to in other areas. So I think that like, um, like allowing women to have the same degree of error of men in the field is, or like less censoring or more aggression or whatever it is, like, like not having to do that would be a huge to let. Cause I think a lot of women, like it can get very tiring to always be like, trying to fight against that more so, I guess, sure. um, or having to take those extra three steps in every piece of content you put out, you know what I mean? Than like someone else and kind of things. And so maybe that's something me as a female that I need to just like say, screw it and like stop being so curated and like the quality of what I do. But then also I hold myself to high standard because I am a professional. So I like don't want to lower my, you know what I mean? The expectations of myself. But that's something that I did notice when I started to grow um, where you know, if I'm a little bit more, if I've Lane Norton can just like say whatever he wants and it's accepted within the industry. But if I came out blaring guns at the same intensity, I'd probably get a lot more criticism and pushback, um, on my message. So it's just mm -hmm. like that little bit of a double-edged sword. And again, that's not calling out these people specifically, but I think in the industry, there's just like that. And a lot of it is women towards me as well. It's not just, I think I've gotten a lot more respect, um, from male colleagues than I have. Um, sometimes I think women hold other women in the field to this unrealistic standard while also not wanting fitness to be at an unrealistic standard at the same, within the same breath. Yeah. I definitely think that the amount of leeway or grace that's given to different professionals in the field probably does vary by gender. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't know where the source of that is from, but I assume that to be true just based on. I mean, I'm a lurker. Yeah. I'm just on the internet. <laughs> and, uh, I certainly yeah. noticed that. And there are people that I look up to and respect and I'm like, I just couldn't do what they do. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so it's interesting. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure if I, I would certainly like the same amount of grace to be allotted to both genders in the space, mm -hmm. but I, I prefer less just in general, like, uh, mainly yeah. because I think the, the amount of misinformation is, is sometimes overwhelming and many times mm -hmm. harmful, although you could make the counter argument that the stakes in this particular space, strength conditioning are relatively low. Like, yeah, if you do the wrong mm -hmm. rep scheme, you do the wrong exercise, like, uh, well, that training cycle wasn't great, you know, but in the health, like medical space, mm -hmm. oh boy, I feel like the stakes are much, much higher. And uh, to the extent that there's some crossover there, yeah. I get real irritated and agitated. And so in that case, I'd want the grace and leeway to be lower. I just would want it to be equal. And I don't know if it's just that yeah. people or they see a, a man who's real strong or whatever, or appears a certain way. And they're like, yeah, I trust this guy in, intrinsically versus the woman mm -hmm. almost has to earn that. And, and it's, uh, in either case f for me, from my perspective, I don't like it because <laughs> I, I, th yeah. I think again, to generate an increase in, women participating in resistance training, which is good for them, necessary, mm -hmm. we're going to have to get more women in the field. Uh, it can't mm -hmm. just be me 
or, you know, whoever, and, and there are many other guys that I think are doing a just bang up job trying to push back against certain societal norms and allowing space for women to do the thing. And, and that's great, but it's not enough. And there's not, there's not enough of y'all, y'all out here. So, uh, one of the reasons why you're on the podcast too, is like, I need to, I felt very compelled to create uh, more space for women who I respect as experts in the field and try to get more of you on here to not only like mm-hmm. put your name out there, but then also like say, hi, like, yeah, I've got good information too. Like let's, yeah. yeah and, and unique information, particularly the endurance training stuff, the intersection of metabolism and exercise, like that's unique stuff. I don't see a lot of other people post stuff on that. So, uh, and then again, because you've done such a good job crafting your message, whether that's an extra step mm-hmm. and, you know, whether it's necessary or not, I, I think you're probably right. I think also people who would see our stuff and are like, nah, that's too aggressive or that's too whatever. Yeah. Go to your stuff or whatever, vice versa. Like, it doesn't matter to me as long as you're getting in the gym or you're getting physically active, taking control of your own health, your own health trajectory. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that kind of jibes with what I thought. And I'm glad you kind of shed some light on it. So, in your opinion, how do we get more women participating in resistance training? How do, what's, what's, what are the next steps? I think we need to, I, I, I'm not someone who thinks that like we need like, total segregation of fitness of men and women, sure. but I think some more female safe spaces. So my gym that I do Olympic weight training at here locally, I think is really, really great. They're like a very tried and true, like strength and conditioning facility that just like everyone there is educated, like very high quality. And there's a ton of women that train there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's cause they have really great women coaches there, but they also mm-hmm. have like the group fitness aspect that's integrated in that strength and conditioning atmosphere that like can be like a, I guess like a gateway drug into like the other stuff where like, I think a lot of women are drawn to things like the orange theory fitness or the F45 or the group fitness boot camps that has a plateau in like the true strength training, like entryway. So I think creating safe spaces, mm-hmm. whether that is mixed sex or like like men and women or whatever integrated within the same thing where you can gateway to that or just creating places for women to feel safer and getting used to training. I think a lot of women are they, they, they haven't been like me where they've been in a weight room since they were 15 where I think a larger percentage of men have been in weight room settings earlier on or at some point in their life. Um, not all, but a, a lot of them. Um, I do this with my ex students when we do body comp lab. I ask like boys, raise your hand if you've been lifting since you were a teenager versus girls. This year actually was the highest prevalence of girls I've had that lift in class. So I think they're, we're on an up and up. Um, but I think creating places for them to be less nervous about people watching them or criticizing them or like the dude to come over and give them unsolicited advice when they're already nervous, I think would be huge, but there's a barrier to that, right? Like cost and resources and stuff like that. Um, But I think just creating those, like I've done this with the Littlest Method where I've created like this online community where women can turn to each other to commiserate or share or like talk about like their unique struggles or whatever with what they're doing. So I think like creating spaces that show and highlight women doing it so I think a lot of women look to me because they see me doing it and they're like, well, they see that they could do it too, which I think is important for them to see. But I think being in community with other women so they don't feel like they're the only – because for some women, they might be one of the few women they know that weight trains and that can feel really isolating. So I think creating spaces and yeah. community, especially when women are such social creatures, are is really, really big and important for getting women – um, to enjoy it, feel comfortable, adhere. And then once you get that buy-in and that confidence and that trust within themselves, especially when you have women with their narratives of like working against their bodies all these years and fighting it and, you know, restrictive dieting, but creating these spaces that kind of like are so different than those spaces they've been a part of their entire life is how I think we're going to get women more into strength training and starting younger. <laughs> like I, I, I wish yep. there was more push for, I was a, I was an athlete growing up and I got lucky because one gym teacher one day decided to show us to do tricep extensions because it would help us with our lacrosse shot, which is like the most awful strength training advice looking back that I ever got. But at least that one mm-hmm. single day of him doing this got me in the gym. You know what I mean? And like the rest of the mm-hmm. girls on my team just never came back. They were like, that's stupid. You're wasting your time. But I was like, if we were made to strength train as part of our our, our, uh, our team for the sport, like how many of those girls would have been better off in the long term because they had been exposed to that at 14, 15, 16 years old versus like, I don't know the age onset of most women, but if women are going to get into strength training, that's maybe college because they got inspired by a Fitzbo, you know what I mean? Or like maybe mm-hmm. finally like in their thirties or something like that. So, um, I think getting 
you know, that early exposure and creating social and safe spaces is going to be really big for women to actually adhere to that. Yeah, I agree. I think the the early exposure is going to be key, particularly in school age children and, and mm-hmm. adolescents, you know, whether that be making sure that women's teams, girls' teams have the same amount of access to the gym, like almost, and making sure that they're not doing some stupid stuff instead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be useful. And I, I think that a lot of that starts with almost policy and also like uh, people in positions of power. So when you actually look at like mm-hmm. the amount of women on different national, international, like athletic organization boards, the percentage yeah. of women is very, very low. It's been very low, mm-hmm. non-existent in many cases. And so to the extent that that can change, I think we can hope for change with respect to early introduction. And then the second part is, you know, I feel like I'm kind of trying to encourage our male listenership uh, to take ownership as well. Like, you know, women, there's the world's populations, like 51 ish percent women right now. Yeah. Get them in the gym. That doesn't, don't force, don't drag them into the gym, but like at least creating the opportunities for them to go to the gym with you. You're likely the subject matter expert with respect to exercise and resistance training in your social circles. So like getting your female colleagues, friends, acquaintances, whatever, if they want to exercise, if they ask you about exercise, offer to take them with you. And just again, Mm -hmm. that get their feet wet, give them the first dose is always free, (laughs) get them hooked. Yeah. And then, I mean, because we're trying to make social change here. And so it's going to take collectively everybody. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that there's a imbalance here, we did it. And I say we, I mean, you know, Well, on my like women, international women's days post, I was like, the fact that I've researched women and, and train women and stuff isn't niche. Like 51% of the population isn't a niche. You know what I mean? Like, so we have to move past this idea that I think strength training for women is this unique, isolated niche thing to being like the norm and helping create that as the norm. So exactly what you said, like men getting the women around them in and like helping them and don't be that bro at the gym who like makes them terrified the first time they ever go to the gym and makes them do your full workout, like actually, actually help them ease into it rather than just yeah. like throwing them into your leg day on day one. I see that all the time in gyms and I'm like, oh, that poor girl. <laughs> She's never coming back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The amount, the amount of, uh, medical, like long-term chronic conditions and then, and health and, and then again, also performance, obviously, uh, improvements that we could see if we got more women uh, training, that'd be It'd be huge. And so huge. Uh, I, I think when people hear me talk about this, they're like, oh, you're just a social justice warrior. You're just whatever. And I, I'm like, look, just because we, it's not our fault. When I say our, I mean like my generation's fault per se, like that this is the way it is. doesn't mean it's not our responsibility to try to do something and do some good. So to make the extent- it better, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to the extent we can make the world a little bit better place, hey, I'm, I'm giving you a challenge, folks. If you're listening to this and you regularly resistance train and you have women in your life who are not resistance training, I challenge you. Go out there, get at least one person to go to the gym with you this next coming week, show them how to squat, put them on the beginner prescription or whatever they want to do and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, set them on their way. That'd be, that'd be something practical you guys can do. All right. Last but not least, this is cool. I just learned of this yesterday. I'm also a little miffed because Claire didn't, you know, (laughs) tell you Well, she's keeping me in the dark. This thing's awesome. All right. So there's like this charity deadlift thing, the charity deadlift events, online, virtual, uh, tell me what's the name of it. What tell, give me all the details. So I was pulling up the post to make sure I had everything correct. All right. So, because Claire came up with this and then I kind of piggybacked on her. So it's the virtual load women deadlift competition and fundraiser. So Claire's big thing is saying hashtag load women. Right. Um, and we've kind of just bandwagoned on this horse together, especially following the NCAA events or just, I mean, Claire's a f- phenomenal lifter and I'm a beefcake. So <laughs> like we're just <laughs> – we're very passionate about getting, you know, women not only in gyms, but loading them appropriately, like actually sure. giving them like true strength prescription, not just like pinkified strength prescription. And so we're doing this fundraiser competition virtual thing in April. And so basically starting today, um, this is April 1st when we're recording this, you're like pledging what you're going to put against your pool. So you're like, I'll donate a dollar for every pound I pull or like 50 cents or whatever it is that you want to do. Sure, yeah. You can just openly donate. And then uh, through the 12th, through the 25th, people are going to do it in their training. So whether you you do like you work it into your training, I think Claire's doing like a five rep pull or whatever. I'm probably not going to pull because I haven't deadlifted in like a year. <laughs> like, um, So you're just <laughs> sure, donating sure. against what you pull. Yeah, I can't, I can't fit that into my training right now. I'll do a, I'll do a high clean pull or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right, and right. so then we're 
then we'll do, then you're donating against your pool. And I also made shirts and stickers. So whatever I make from that, Littlest Fitness is going to donate on the behalf of like this whole organization. So I made shirts that say load women. And on the back, it says like, you are a woman, you are not frail. Um, you can like load the bar, lace the sneakers, chase the goals or something like that. Like just encouraging women that like, I think a lot of women tend to think that like, the, I think the biggest thing I get with women, they'll be like, well, what if I hurt myself? Or what if my form's bad? Or what if I break my body? I'm like, you're not frail. You're not weak. You'll be fine. Like you can lift. Um, and so you're, you can either buy a shirt, you can just donate, you can, so the idea is to show yourself lifting heavy as a demonstration of women lifting heavy. And then we're going to donate the the money that people donate to the Women's Sports Foundation and then the Perry Initiative. So these are both um, women in sports or women in science organizations, since we're kind of in the intersection of women in sports and science. Um, with it. So whether you want to donate in pool, get a shirt, um, just openly donate, it's kind of Claire and I's way to give back to actually putting our money where our mouth is and like supporting organizations that support women in either science or sport or both. That's awesome. We will put links in the description below for more information on this. Sounds awesome. I'm excited. Uh, all right. To wrap this up, tell, tell us everywhere where people can find you on the internet to interact with you. <laughs> Yeah, so I hang out the most on Instagram at Littlest Fitness, um, but my website is littlestfitness.com. Um, I have a podcast called The Messy Middle Podcast, which is the only thing that isn't under my exact name. But if you go to my Instagram at Littlest Fitness or littlestfitness.com, you will find links to everything under the sun possible my podcast, my training programs, my ebooks all of my Instagram posts that are so beautifully organized for you based off topic. If you're confused about lifting or endurance, they're organized for you based on topic. So um, basically just littlest fitness across the board and you will be able to find a little bit of everything that we talked about there linked in that. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, that's a wrap on episode 135. Again, that was Alyssa Olenek. All of the links to find her are in the description below. Links for the charity event in the description below and links to uh, contact us, get on our forum, get on our Facebook group, ask us questions, all in the show notes in the description below. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. Before you go, if you could, wherever you're getting this podcast from, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps drive traffic to our podcast. We really appreciate that and helps grow our audience so we can bring you and everyone else the latest nuance in health and fitness. See you guys next Monday and every Monday right here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Podcast.